I'm Vivian Parry, Head of Public Engagement at Genomics England. It's my pleasure today to be guest hosting today's episode on The G Word. We're trying to bring the benefits of genomic medicine to everyone, and that involves accelerating genomic research and also working with the NHS to bring genomics into the heart of healthcare. Genomics is a word that can trigger really strong responses, hope, fear, anger, and there's a lot of information out there, but it's not all accessible to non-experts. And there are some myths out there too. So we want to talk more about this word, the G word, genomics. That's what this podcast is about. Welcome to the G word. Now, in December 2021, Genomics England set out its early thinking on a pilot which will gather evidence about the use of whole genome sequencing for newborn screening. It's generated a great deal of interest and lots of questions. So we thought that in this episode of The G Word, we'd introduce you to David Bick. He's an American doctor, both of medicine and of science, who's been involved in sequencing projects and genomics across the US and the world, but most importantly of all, throughout his long career, talking to thousands of patients. He's now moved from Alabama to London and is the clinical advisor to the newborn program. David, hello. Hello, thank you. And thank you for inviting me to the podcast. It's very good to have you here. So tell me, first of all, why the move from Alabama to London? What drew you to Genomics England? Well, I think that one sentence answer would be the UK's health system and its effort to help, in this case, young children, even before they become ill, with uh, improving their health. And it's a system which in the US is a bit fragmented. So that would be the maybe the one sentence answer. It's more complicated, I suppose, than that. Um, I had been on the Genomics Advisory Board for Genomics England since its inception. And maybe about three years ago, uh, a group was assembled uh, in the UK to look at the question of whether whole genome sequencing in newborns might make sense to do. So a group was uh, commissioned to, to look at the question. And broadly, it was felt that this was worth looking into, pursuing, trying to see if it made sense. And subsequent to that, I worked with uh, Richard Scott, who's the chief medical officer for Genomics England. And he and I um, wrote a paper together looking at all of the treatable conditions that you could find with whole genome sequencing. And from there, he and I had further discussions, and it was clear that where the UK was going, where the NHS was going, was really the right direction for children. And so I joined. And you've had a very long career, and this is something that you, you've done now. You've upped sticks from uh, Alabama. London is very, very different, but I know that you and your wife are Anglophiles, so <laughs> we're, del we're delighted to have you here. But one of the things I guess that people will wonder about with whole genome uh, sequencing is why use whole genome sequencing? Because if you have, say, 100 conditions that you, that you want to test for, why not use a panel. So in other words, uh, uh, you know, something that has all the things you want to look for and not bother with a whole genome. That's a perfect question. So let's just talk for a moment about the current UK newborn screening program. It, like 
programs around the world are designed to go one condition at a time, one by one, and each condition you add to the panel, you want to detect essentially every single child with that condition. It is excellent because you really do find those children and they do have conditions which you need to treat right away. The challenge is each time you want to add a condition, you're going to need to do enormous amount of scientific and uh, technical work to ensure that you're detecting every single child. And so each time you want to add a condition to the panel, that can take quite a long time. And so that's very challenging. One of the values of whole genome sequencing is it allows us to look at any gene in detail. And so if you sequence all of the genes, you don't have this problem of having to add them one at a time. You can add them in bunches. And so that's the value of whole genome sequencing. Now, I do want to be very clear about this program. We want to look for the things that we can treat in children. We're not going to look for things that won't happen until you're 50 or maybe put you at some increased risk for diabetes. That's not the purpose of the screening program, the screening pilot that we're doing. Now, there are other aspects to the screening pilot, which are research. And in truth, this is all research. But what is really important to appreciate is how easy it will be to add dozens and dozens of conditions. And just to be clear, there are 680 very treatable conditions that arise in childhood that we can find with whole genome. So that's a really important point to make, isn't it? So that what essentially the newborn program is trying to find is that little window where you have an opportunity to do something about potential symptoms or even about you know reversing a condition in some cases, that you have this little window where you can, by some treatment or intervention, make this child's life a great deal better. And actually, the, as many children as we can do that for, we would like to do it for. I think that you brought up in a very important point. We want to do this for as many children as we possibly can. And so this is, in all honesty, one of the tensions. If we use whole genome sequencing for, say, those 600 or so conditions that we can we know how to treat in these children. It's not that we are going to invent new treatments. We have treatments for these for these 680 conditions. If we insist that we need to be able to detect every single one of those children for every single one of those conditions, then it's going to be very long time before we can start. And so the question is, if we put on the list several hundred conditions, even if we can't detect all of the children, we can help some of the children today. And that's hugely important. And the other thing, I guess, is that one of the problems that we see a, a, a great deal is that children can have the same, exactly the same uh, change in their gene as another child, but have very different symptoms and effects of a of a condition and there's a kind of cocktail effect of what else children inherit 
And it's very important to know what those other things are in order that you can advise the family and that also you can think uh, about new treatments and how to develop them. Yes, this is a very important aspect of this, which is that we want to help children and families today, but we also hope that those children or those families who join us in this will also feel that they would like to help other children and other parents going forward. And so it will be of, of great importance for us to have the help of these families in allowing us to use their information for research. Obviously, there are many concerns and questions around how do we protect the data and so forth, and those will absolutely need to be worked out. But what we're hoping is that families will join us in this journey of helping their own children, but helping other children in the future. Now, some people will look at the criteria that there are for the screening committee. So there's a very you know, strict set of criteria by which a condition is admitted to a list uh, of uh, or disorders that are going to be screened for. Why are our criteria different to the criteria of a screening committee? Uh, different, not better, I should say. I think that's an absolutely critical question, and I do hope the folks listening to this podcast, I'm hoping I can explain it um, adequately. When we do screening, it is always our goal to detect all of the children. We would certainly want to do that. The challenge is that if I want to add something to the current newborn screening panel because every condition I add requires so much effort, we really do focus on adding conditions where we detect essentially everybody. But if you can add hundreds of conditions, even if you cannot detect every single one of the children with each of those conditions, broadly, we expect to help hundreds and hundreds of children that we would not have done except after years and years of adding things to the panel. And there is one other important point here. Every time you add a condition to the current newborn screening panel, you need a little bit more blood. And the newborn screening card only has a limited number amount of blood from that child. And because of that limitation, you'll either need to get more blood from every child to add more and more conditions, or you will come up against the wall of, we just don't have any more room to add more conditions. That is not a problem with whole genome sequencing. We get all of the genes at once. And when you're talking about uh, the screening service, you're often talking about population. That's the you know, population benefits. And sometimes very rare conditions are rather disadvantaged because you're looking for something that's very, very rare and the cost benefits are not there. So those poor, unfortunate people tend to get sort of shoved off the end and don't get included. But actually whole genome sequencing allows you to include those very rare conditions on a kind of level playing field. That is absolutely correct. We want to help families with rare conditions, which are treatable, 
and families with the less rare conditions which are treatable. I think this equity is an important principle in terms of how we take care of children in the UK. And why is it that you can't pick up all the children uh, when you look at using whole genome sequencing? I mean, because people will say, well, why can't you? Surely the genes, are, the gene change that you're looking for is the same in all of them. So why can't you pick up all of them? That's a brilliant question. So it turns out that when we look at our genes, any given gene, there will be changes in that gene which cause disease, but some people will have changes in the gene which don't cause disease. We call those benign variants. Whereas those changes which we know cause disease, we call those pathogenic variants. And then there are changes in our genes which we don't yet understand. We call those variants of uncertain significance. And so because everyone's genome contains a mixture of all those kinds of variants across all of their genes, we can find ourselves in a situation where we'll find a DNA change that we don't know how to interpret. And so that's why in this program, we're going to be focusing on the changes we do know how to interpret. But that also means that there'll be some children who will have changes that cause a condition, but because we don't yet have the scientific knowledge for interpreting that DNA change, we will miss that child. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because the more we discover, and the 100,000 Genomes Project has been uh, hugely informative um, in, in, in this way, we're discovering that for some conditions, you need not only the change in the gene, but you also need a change in the bit of our genome which isn't uh, genes, where the regulators and the switches and the controls are. So we're constantly having to add new things in order to really advise parents properly about what the chances of their child having this condition are. Absolutely. And so the wonderful thing about doing this whole genome approach is we can help the children today looking at genes that we understand and looking at the DNA changes we understand. We can help those children today. And at the same time, because the technology is so flexible, we've got the whole genome already, adding an additional gene or adding additional variants that are found to be causing of disease, we can update that very easily without changing what to collect, without changing the DNA technology, without changing anything except making some minor changes in the, in the code that we use for doing the analysis. It's funny, isn't it? Because you and I are probably about a similar age and we will both remember very well when the draft sequence of the Human Genome Project was announced. And the great shock was how few genes humans had. I mean, they were betting on 150,000 or 100,000. And it turns out we have just a shade over 20,000, which is the same as a flipping starfish. So we're really, we're, we're really not that special. But also the shock is that so little of our entire genome is actually genes. In other words, the bits that have the instructions that do things. And the more we're discovering about the rest of it, and what it does, 
the more important it is for us to think about whole genomes. Right, and I think that you're bringing up what is a very, very important point. There is a way where we could just look at what we call the coding parts of genes, the parts of genes that tell the cell, make this protein. That's only like one or 2% of your genome. The rest of your genome is on off, is a series of on off switches to turn those genes on and off at the right time in development, at the right time in your life, in the right organ. And so we know a great deal more about that one or 2% than the rest. And so people ask me, well, David, why go after everything when if you just looked at this one or 2%, you'd essentially get everything you need. And that's because the technology to do what we call an exome, just that coding part, yields results for that part, which are not as good as genome. So if you wanna look at the exome, you do a better job with a genome. It's more accurate. A lot of people will be thinking, I wonder whether my condition is going to be included in the list of conditions. And are we talking about 6,000, about 1,000, about 600, about 50? What's the number? Now, I know that this is a subject of a lot of discussion amongst the conditions framework, but what's your guess about how many conditions we might be looking for? Yeah, I mean, this is some, this is actually a question that I turn over in my head virtually every day. <laughs> so it's good that you asked. So humans have about 20,000 different genes. About 5,000 of them have been connected to a human disease. The other 15,000, we, we know where they work. We say, oh, that's a brain gene or that's a kidney gene. But we don't yet know what happens if there's a mistake in that gene. So there's still 15,000 genes that we're still trying to figure out what happens to the person if you break it. So among those 5,000, now you have the question, which of these genes do we have a treatment for? And where that treatment is specifically connected to the problem that the broken gene causes. The classic is PKU. In PKU, phenylketonuria, this amino acid phenylalanine is too much. And so if you can restrict the amount of that amino acid in the person, it prevents all of the learning, terrible learning problems these kids run into. And so the treatment is connected to the underlying problem. And so when you look at that group of conditions, you get about 600 and almost 700 conditions. Now, some of those are adult onset, and so we probably wouldn't want to include those. So I tend to subtract those 20 or 30. So now we're back to those, say, 680 or so conditions. Among those conditions, we need to provide the moms and dads with a yes-no answer. And so for almost all of them, there is a second test that can be done, a non-DNA test, which will give a clear yes-no answer to the mom and dad, because that's what they want. And so now we're getting down to perhaps four or 500 conditions. But an important part is that I'm, even though I may know a great deal about genetics and genetic conditions, there are lots of different 
groups and stakeholders who I think should absolutely be involved in making this decision about the lists. And for that, there's actually a group that's actually meeting to come up with principles, things that should guide our choosing of genes. Because I'm not expecting everybody to know all of the ins and outs of, of some of these very rare conditions. But I do expect that Genomics England and the, and the NHS will be following really the dictates of what folks in the community feel is important in terms of which conditions to look for. So a really important principle is you can do something about it. Coming up on the inside rail are some conditions where we know that there's a great deal of work being done by researchers and by uh, researchers in industry who have developed new compounds to treat conditions. So we have a kind of grey list, I guess, too, of conditions that might not be treatable exactly right now, but will soon be treatable. And I guess that speaks to how important it is to have flexibility in this programme so that we can constantly adjust it to reflect new developments. And I think that we want to be very transparent and very interactive with families in terms of them really understanding if they're going to join our pilot, and we certainly hope lots of people will, that they really are in control. They'll be able to say, well, I want to do this part of what we're doing and these other parts I'm, I need to think about a little bit more and that they are in control of their their children's genomes. So I, I think that that's going to be turn out to be an important principle. And that will allow us to ask families, well, we looked at your child's genome. We didn't find anything particularly unusual. Will you allow us to, um, if there's a new treatment for a new condition, which isn't on the current list, may we contact you? or something like that. So there's going to need to be a great deal of public dialogue to make this so that we advantage those children, not only with currently treatable conditions, we want to advantage those children who have a condition where a treatment is just on the horizon. And that's so important to those parents. And I know you've spent such a lot of your life talking to parents and there are lots of ethical dilemmas in this and we're going at a very slow and cautious pace and talking to people all of the time and not just uh, parents but midwives, uh, nurses, you know, geneticists, counsellors so that we can be sure that however we do this programme that we get it right from everybody's point of view. Absolutely correct. We 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 must be very considerate about the program and being sure that it is the best program we can possibly make it. And going back to our, uh, the start of our discussion, you know, you've seen a lot of genomics around uh, the world and you've been involved in lots of programs. And this one is unique in the world. There isn't another like it. And so we do have a heavy responsibility and lots of people are watching Genomics England at the moment to make sure that we can develop a programme that works properly. I'm in perfect agreement. And I will also say 
that there are programs starting in the United States which are definitely looking at to see what how things develop here because for example both in California and New York they are talking about uh, very similar programs to perform whole genome sequencing uh, as a possible uh, avenue to, to newborn screening and there's a group at, at Harvard who's already started a small program and so these other programs around the world have contacted us um, and we're all wanting to learn from each other so that not only are we providing excellent care for children in the UK but really leading the world in terms of trying to make this happen for children all over the world because really for me that would be incredibly exciting to save the lives of children all over the world with similar newborn programs. David Bick, it's been such a pleasure talking to you as always. Um, I've been involved with the newborn program uh, right from the beginning uh, as you have and the ability to do something for so many children and parents to help them live their best lives by picking up their problems at a very early stage and being able to do something for them is just such an exciting and worthwhile prospect. Um, you know, what better thing could we be involved in, David? <laughs> I'm in perfect agreement. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Now, that's all for this episode. Thanks for listening to this discussion about the G word and for joining us on this journey to highlight and debate the implications of genomics as it comes to the mainstream of healthcare and society. Remember to subscribe to the G word on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite pods. If you have views on these topics, if you have a suggestion for someone we should interview, then do write to us at podcast at genomicsengland.co.uk. And do remember that if you've enjoyed listening, give us a five-star review because it really helps other people find out about the series. I'd appreciate it very much. I've been Vivian Parry. See you on the next episode of The G Word. <laughs>